Well, hello, West Campus. It is so great to be with you. And, you know, as we head off to Bonnie Dune, our sense of Bonnie Dune, I can't express to you how grateful we are to have this family and this community here that supports us and prays for us as we go. I hope many of you over this next year will come and visit us at the Bonnie Dune campus and see firsthand how God is at work there. My friends, it's August. It's crazy how fast this summer has been moving. And I hope you've all had time this summer to maybe travel, hopefully not through Toronto, uh, but maybe you've had an opportunity to, to camp in the mountains or you've been able to take your kids to one of the awesome outdoor pools that we have here in Edmonton. Um, or for us, we love going for walks and bike rides through the river valley and fighting off the mosquitoes there. Uh, but uh, we hope you have enjoyed this summer and the beauty of the city that God has uh, called us to be in. And one of the, for me, one of the other things summer is about is football. Now, if you're an Elks fan, I'm really, really sorry. This is not a good time to be an Elks fan. But uh, if you watch the NFL, you're probably just excited as I am because training camp has started. And I, you know, I, I love football. I grew up playing football all throughout high school. And every year training camp would be in August and then September through to November and then into December if we were lucky. It would be school and then football practice right afterwards. And that was just the, the rhythm that was established over my years in high school. It was a lot, but I enjoyed playing the game. I, I loved how the friendships that would be bonded with my teammates because of how much time we would spend together. And for a few years, I had the privilege of being uh, named team captain. So there were a few years where I was the captain of the football team. And football was just a part of who I was through high school. But there was one year, there was another sport that tempted me away from football. And I have to be honest, it wasn't exactly the sport that tempted me away from it. I had a crush on this girl who I knew really loved to play badminton. So football and school were already keeping me super busy, church and all this other stuff keeping me really busy. But the Lord just really highlighted this girl to me and spoke straight to my soul and said, you need to try out for the badminton team. So I think we can all agree when the Lord speaks, we need to listen. So I, I went out and I tried out for the badminton team. Now I'll admit I went into it maybe a little too confident, maybe a tad bit arrogant. Come on, who wouldn't want the captain of the football team on the badminton team? But uh, so I went to this tryout and as it started, uh, you know, first match I'm playing this other guy and right off the bat, he just lobs one up and I see that birdie just kind of floating up in the air and I'm just salivating at it and I just jump up and I hit that as hard as I can as hard as I could with every ounce of football playing muscle that I had. And I just hit it and it went absolutely nowhere. And, you know, like I, it, I thought it was weird, but I didn't think too much of it. So I just kind of ignored it and moved on. And not uh, too much longer later, same thing. The guy lobbed one up and I looked at it and I remember thinking, I got to hit this even harder than I did the last time. So again, I just killed it as hard as I could. And again, that birdie went absolutely nowhere. It just kind of fluttered and floated over the net. And I was probably the only one in that entire gym that didn't realize that I had no idea how to play badminton. 
And for me, the confident captain of the football team, long story short, I got cut and I didn't make the badminton team. The thing is, I didn't understand that there's a way to play badminton. There's technique to it. It's, it's all in the wrist and not just brute strength. There was a right way to do it, but I killed myself tirelessly putting an effort that was not accomplishing anything. Friends, when it comes to church and specifically to our times of worship together in singing, in prayer, in the preaching of God's words, of, of God's word, I know I've done this many times before and come on church, it's confession time. How many of, of us have ever left a weekend service thinking whether or not we got something out of it or whether or not we enjoyed the service? You know, somewhere along the line, coming to church and worship started to shift from bringing an offering to our almighty God to consumer-focused self-serving attitudes and expectations. And enough time has passed since those attitudes have started taking hold, taking hold of some of us and our churches that there are a multitude of explanations that have been offered. The secularization of our culture, lack of theology being taught, consumer-driven church growth models that people engage in. There are numerous ideas that have been offered up and you know, I think there's some truth to every single one of them. But the fact of the matter is the focus of our worship services today can or at least have the potential to be about many things other than God himself. Now our time together today is not a finger pointing session. It's not me not being a worship pastor here anymore and now it's my turn to point fingers at people. It's not about that. Our time together today is for us to be all reminded here at Beale Alliance Church that we need to rewrite the narrative that every single one of us can fall into at times. Church, worship is not about us. Worship is not for us. Worship is and always has been about God. Worship is and has always been for God. In worship, making ourselves the object of worship is like trying to power hit that badminton birdie. It gets us nowhere. And coming into a space and a place like this with those perspectives and that attitude is what causes this to be simply a venue for entertainment and not one of true and authentic worship. And even though our time together today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus more. I got together with Pastor Blake from our Southwest campus. He's preaching uh, on a similar topic at our Southwest campus this weekend. And we got together a few weeks ago to kind of talk about what we wanted to uh, teach on this weekend. And th this could be easily a half year series of, because of how much is involved and for us to understand when it comes to worship. But we tried to narrow it down as best as we could. And even though, um, Today, I'm gonna to be focusing more on what this is, what we call corporate worship, when we gather together in this place. It's also really important for us to remember that worship is not music, worship is not a service. Worship is our active response to the goodness and the glory of God in everything that we do, all of life. So friends, we are gonna to turn to Paul's letter to the Colossians today to help us find a truer and biblical definition of what worship is. And then after we've established that definition, I wanna share with you some of the things 
that I have been helpful for me and things that I have learned and I feel like will be helpful for everybody whenever we approach corporate worship in settings like this. So the book of Colossians gives us a good parallel to where we might find ourselves today. While the apostle Paul was in prison, he got word that the church in Colossae had started to veer off course in their theology. They started to include, including ideas from Judaism, uh, Greek philosophy, paganism. And this is what some biblical scholars call the Colossian era. Part of what was starting to happen was Jesus was starting to be reduced to a relatively minor place. While the false teaching that started to creep in did not deny Christ, it certainly dethroned him. It gave him a place, but not the supreme place. In that letter, Paul writes in response to what is happening with the Colossians, and right near the beginning of his letter, he writes these words that we're going to read in a few minutes, uh, in a few moments starting at verse 15, to remind them of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. You know, for us today, being in this age of consumerism and instant gratification, our view of God, and related to that, our view of worship can easily drift into a Jesus plus something else kind of theology, which is always going to be wrong and defective. Colossians 1 reminds us that Christ alone is supreme, central, and unmatched. So church, I'm going I'm to ask you to do something It feels right to do this in this moment. Can we stand together and we're going to read this passage in Colossians out loud together. So this is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Let's read it out loud together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thanks, church. You guys can have a seat again. So right off the top there, we're reminded that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You know, all of us here today, probably this morning, when you woke up and were getting ready for the day, you probably looked in a mirror. And when you look at at yourself in the mirror, what you see is a reflection of yourself, not an actual version of you in substance. This isn't the same with Jesus. He isn't just a mirror reflection, but he is the exact likeness of God in substance. The nature and the being of God perfectly revealed in him. Jesus is God with us. Paul writes this in a different letter in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that we have knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. When we focus on Jesus, the one who created everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, we are gripped by his glory and his miracle working power. We see creativity and beauty. We see love through his atoning sacrifice, and we stand in awe of his life-giving resurrection. 
when we focus our attention on what is revealed to us in and through Christ Jesus, we don't just nod our heads in acknowledgement, we respond in worship. Friends, worship is response. Worship is this pattern back and forth between revelation from God and our response to the truth of who God is and all he has done. And revelation is different from information. Information assumes a posture of acquiring, whereas revelation assumes a posture of humility. In humility, the starting point for us when we pray and seek for God, seek God for his revelation, the starting point is when he first reveals to us the effects of sin on us and then in turn our deep, deep need for Jesus. Humility and our understanding of how deeply we need him is the foundation that frees us from our own selfish thoughts and desires as God reveals more of himself to us. One of my favorite worship leaders, Matt Redman, says this, information may inform the mind, but revelation sets a heart on fire. Church, do you live with your eyes geared towards revelation? And friends, knowing that Jesus is the visible image of God, why would we ever choose to look anywhere else? But there's so much that tempts us to take our eyes off of him when it comes to our worship services. There's a lot, but there's one that I want to mention specifically today, and that's our personal preferences. Personal preference is often what causes us to take our eyes off of Christ. So part of my regular routine each week is to grocery shop for our family, make sure we have enough food to cook and to eat. And usually every Monday, the place that you'll find me is Costco here on the West End. And a lot of weeks, depending on when I'm able to make it out there, my Costco shopping trip also includes picking up some $1.50 hot dogs to bring home for lunch. And earlier this week, we had our hot dogs and I started putting ketchup on it. And I don't know about you, but I can't have a hot dog with just ketchup. I need to have mustard on there as well. So I started putting mustard on my hot dog. And then Eden, who, our three-year-old who you saw running around up here earlier, she shoots me this super disgusted look. And she says, mustard? Ew, that's gross. And in that moment, I was able to stay calm. I knew this was a good moment for me to teach her about personal preferences, even though in my head I'm thinking, what's wrong with your mouth? How could you not like mustard on a hot dog? Years ago as well, I was working at a Christian university and seminary in Toronto called Tyndale. Uh, I was part of the student development team there and I led chapel services for the school and worked with student worship teams. And while I was there, I also had the awesome opportunity to visit with and work with some different churches in and around the city that were having some really intense fights over worship. If you have been around church for a bit, the term worship wars is probably familiar to you. You know, some of these churches just really went at each other hard, accusing the people that didn't share the same preferences as them of being less spiritual, heretical, ignorant, of who God is destroying the future of the church. At the height of some of this fighting, I'd come in and I'd sit in the middle and do my best to mediate the discussions. Through those experiences, I honestly 
never heard an argument, and there were many, many arguments, but I never heard one that had any real theological weight. Almost all of what was argued was based on people protecting their personal preferences. Friends, preferences aren't inherently wrong. We all have them and we'll always have them. But there's a fine line between knowing yourself and what you like and don't like and then expecting others to worship the way that you want to. When we cross that line, we make ourselves the object of worship over Christ. Worship must never be a response to our preferences, but a response to the glory of our God revealed to us in Jesus. Let me say that one more time. Worship must never be a response to our preferences, but a response to the glory of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Worship is response to revelation that comes when our eyes are focused on Jesus, the image of the invisible God. As we continue to read in this Colossians passage, we are also reminded of what Christ has done for us. Christ is our mediator, mediator, the one who died on the cross. And we read in Colossians 1, chapter 20, or chapter 1, verse 20, through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everyone in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus embodied what worship means in his complete act of sacrifice on the cross. He shows us that worship is sacrifice. There's a story that we read about in 2 Samuel 24. We see that the Lord was displeased with David and would punish Israel for David's sin. For restoration, the Lord commanded David to offer a sacrifice on the threshing floor of a man named Arauna, the Jebusite. In obedience, David asked to buy the threshing floor to build the altar on. But Arana, recognizing that the person who was asking him for this was David, he just offered it to him for free. But David refused. He insisted on paying for the land because he could not make an offering to the Lord that cost him nothing. And David in Psalm 1914 also prays this prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And there are two parts to this. The words of your mouth that must be acceptable in God's sight and also the meditations of your heart. God is not honored by what comes out of our mouths in worship if it comes from a false heart. Worship as sacrifice is never something that comes from obligation but from a heart that is fully set on making Jesus, as we see even if we go back to Colossians 1.18, making Jesus first in everything. That's the key to sacrifice. Jesus needs to be first, not just in, word, in the words of our mouth, but also in the meditations of our hearts. It's amazing how much we are willing to sacrifice for things that we really care about. Maybe you sacrifice sleep to do a little extra work to help your career. If you're a student, Maybe the all-nighter to cram for a test has become part of your regular routine. We're willing to sacrifice financially to travel and visit somewhere that we really wanted to go or to buy something that we've been wanting to have for a long time. How many of us have ever sacrificed spending time with friends because we started dating someone and became completely infatuated? If you have kids, you are probably an expert on what it means to sacrifice. 
But then why does sacrifice seem so foreign to us sometimes when we engage in worship in a corporate setting like this? You know, when Christ is not central and we make worship about ourselves and fall into that trap, it'll never line up with what we want it to be. And that differential is what communicates to us that this is not worth sacrificing for. But friends, this is why we need that perspective shift. Remembering that Jesus is the one who is subject and object of our worship. If we embrace and understand that, we become willing to sacrifice our comfort, our preferences, and that nagging desire for us to get something out of this, and we replace it with praise and adoration, thanksgiving, and sacrifice. Worship is sacrifice. As Paul continues on in verse 23, just a couple verses after the passage that we read earlier, this is what he writes. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firm in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. You must continue. Worship is continuous. Worship is not confined to time and space, but is our whole lives. Romans 12:1 reminds us, of this, present your bodies, your whole selves, your whole life as a living sacrifice. And this is your true act of worship. As we live as people that commit to doing everything in our own lives from a heart that is doing everything to the Lord, any chance that we get to do worship together in a corporate setting like this should only become richer if we have a strong life of worship personally. There's continuity between our personal worship and corporate worship. Our worship in private deepens this corporate experience that we engage in when we come to a service like this. Friends, check this out in Ephesians 4, 16. It says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It's only when each part is working properly that the body receives the support it needs and will be able to grow as God intended it. You are part of this body called the church, Christ as the head. You are not here to consume, but to contribute. And that starts with your own personal work growth and healthy private worship. Then on the other side of it, corporate worship, the experience that we get to take part in together here, corporate worship inspires continued worship in private. And by this, I don't mean that the music was so good that you go home and you just keep singing the songs. That's not what I mean. What I mean is the people of God gathered in response to the revelation of his greatness and allowing that to remind us that we were created by him, through him, and for him. We were created to worship and the community of the church engaged in Christ-centered worship reminds us of that and inspires us to worship continually. Worship is continuous. The first time I ever led a song in a worship service, it was 1999. And since then, I've had seasons where of abundance where I felt really close to God and felt it was easy and natural to keep him firmly in the center. There were also seasons where my heart and my mind started to drift to other things, music, skill, reputation. 
And in those moments, I unknowingly made Jesus secondary. And in those moments, I was challenged by some other leaders around me to consider these next few items that helped me realign my focus on the one that should always be first in everything. And I hope uh, and know and believe that these things will help all of us as a church, as a family, as a community as well. And the first thing is simply to know God. Paul's letter to the Colossians serves as this reminder of how easy it is for the culture around us to begin shifting the priority of Christ in our lives, causing us to lose proper understanding of our salvation and of our worship. Colossians 2, 7 says this, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. You will always be limited in your relationship with Christ if the only time you meet with him is this one hour chunk on a weekend. Commit to spending time in prayer and learning every single day. And church, you know, you know what I've learned? There's no secret sauce to this. It's just about making a commitment to reading your Bible, getting a devotional book, download the YouVersion app. If you have a question or you're wonder, wondering and wanting to learn more about some aspect of God, just search for that on Amazon. Pick the book that has the best ratings, buy it and then read it. Growing in your faith and learning more about God starts simply with committing to it and then doing it daily. I love these lines from an ancient prayer from Catherine of Siena. It says, the more I enter, the more I find. And the more I find, the more I seek. Second, be prayerful. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Friends, pray before you attend a service here. Pray the night before. Pray when you're in the car driving over here. Pray for your own attitude of worship and, your, and that your heart and mind would keep him in the center. Pray as you enter the church, as you enter in this room, pray for the people that are here with you, the rest of your community. And friends, pray that you would be a worshiper instead of a judge. Pray against distractions because they come up so easily. You know, that one has been difficult for me over the years as well. Sometimes people forget that when something weird and wacky happens in a service, the people engaged in uh, leading that service are often the, pe the first people to notice that something has gone wrong. There have been many times up here where we were trying to engage people and get the church to clap and people started clapping on one and three instead of two and four, and that's distracting. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay, just keep doing your thing. Jesus still loves you. <laughs> there used to be a song as well that we would sing a lot. It's a song called Our God, one of my favorites. And it had this awesome, driving, energetic bridge in the song, and I just love being able to declare it together. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And as much as I love that song, there are so many times where the worship leader would forget that you have to show some restraint at the beginning of that song. Because if you start with too much energy and you start speeding up, by the time you get to that bridge, you are literally wrapping those words because of how quickly they come. It's distracting. You know, for us in this specific environment, maybe sometimes a camera does something weird. 
Maybe a lyric doesn't go up when you expect it to go up. Maybe a preacher references something wrong by accident. Maybe there's a, a word that's spelled wrong on a slide. You know, for me, sometimes when I'm visiting other churches and something like that comes up, I realize that sometimes that distraction would often lead me to judgment. And when that happens, the attention, the focus is not on Jesus, but it's on music or tech or a person or a service element. Mistakes might distract, but should never deter us from making Christ central. Church, be prayerful. Continually, constantly pray against that. The next, be grateful. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Allen here, he spoke at our staff chapel that reminded us, us all of Psalm 104. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. This is what Pastor Allen reminded us of. The door that we enter into worship through is thanksgiving. When we are constantly mindful of who Jesus is and all that he has done for us, it is not hard for us to give him and him alone the praise, honor, and glory due to his name. In Colossians 2, 13, 14, 13 to 14, it says this, when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. We have a lot to be grateful for. And Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter one, verse 12, also reminds us that one of the most noticeable things of a healthy Christian life is gratefulness. When we are grateful, this naturally leads us to number four, be joyful. As I was going through this, you know, again, there's so many different parts of worship and, you know, I could, I could, I could keep talking for the next two hours uh, because of how much there is to teach about. In this moment, and just talking about being joyful, I want to acknowledge too that it's not always easy for us to be joyful. And being joyful doesn't mean we lose things like lament because that's part of a healthy worship, worshiping life as well. But also I wanted to uh, remind us of where we are coming from as a church. We just spent the last few weeks going through Psalm 23. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Neil was here and he taught on Psalm 23, 4 that says, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. And Pastor Neil reminded us that in every circumstance, in everything that we go through in our lives, God promises his presence. Psalm 35 also says, weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. When we think of everything we have to be grateful for, all that Jesus has done for us, we can't help but be filled with joy. When we think of his presence with us daily, we can't help but be filled with joy. When there's something to celebrate, we celebrate. And it should show on our faces and in our body language. Friends, next year, after the Oilers win the Stanley Cup, I was hoping for a bigger reaction. Next year when the Oilers win the Stanley Cup, friends, you are not just going to sit there and nicely soft clap. 
The whole city is going to be cheering and screaming everywhere you go. Horns will be blaring, waking up babies everywhere. If you are a Flames fan, you know, after this summer of losing Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk, next year, well, I don't actually have anything for you. I just wanted to rub it in your face if you're a Flames fan. But friends, we have reason for joy and that should show and be reflected in our worship. When Christ is central, when our eyes are fixed on him, we will always have a reason for joy. So friends, it's been one of the greatest honors of my life to have had the privilege to lead you and lead this church and worship over the last six and a half years. And I'm gonna miss looking out and seeing all of you. This new season for me, even as excited as I am for what I know God has in store for our Bonnie Dune campus, I am also excited for what God has in store for all of you as he continues to refine, renew, revive this amazing place we call West Campus. Friends, continue to grow in your knowledge and your understanding of him. Pray constantly for this community and for a healthy perspective that keeps Christ at the center. Be grateful for who he is and everything that he has done. And let your joy be a light that shines before all people as we get to partner with God and seeing greater Edmonton awaken to King Jesus. Church, there is darkness that is constantly trying to suppress that light. And that darkness casts, even casts a shadow over the church. The number of Canadians involved in regular religious activities like attending a church service right now sits at 23% nationally according to the last StatsCan report. That's the lowest that it's been since 1986 when they first started collecting that information. And then based off of research done by an organization called Barna in collaboration with World Vision Canada, they did a study on young adults over the pandemic and they found that through the pandemic, 70% of young adults have left the church. In fact, every, probably every church everywhere is seeing their attendance lower than what it was pre-pandemic. Another survey by an organization called Angus Reed also discovered that Canadians feel like evangelical Christianity is more damaging to society than it is helpful. And then on top of all of that, over the past few years, we've all seen high-profile scandal after high-profile scandal from some different big churches in the U.S., but also here in Canada. There's darkness that surrounds us. So friends, what do we want people to see when they look at us, Beulah Alliance Church? Will people look in and see arms crossed because the style of music isn't what you prefer or you want older songs or newer songs or the music's too loud or the music's too soft? Will they see people distracted on their phones when a host is trying to talk about or celebrate an aspect of ministry happening here at the church? Will people look in and see people halfway out of their seats at the end of a message because it went seven to eight minutes longer than you prefer it to be? You know, sometimes some of that feedback is legitimate and it's presented in humility. That's not what I'm talking about here. 
I'm talking about when we fall prey to the temptation to make this more about us than about Jesus. When feedback comes from a place of preference that is self-serving, that's what I'm talking about. And friends, I don't want that. And I hope you don't want that either. And like I said earlier, and it's important as we wrap up today to remind us that yes, worship is more than a service. But in this moment, I'm speaking specifically of when we are gathered in this place for corporate worship. Friends, I want others to walk into this place, walk in on a gathering that we have here and see people falling face down in humility, recognizing their deep, deep need for Jesus. I want people to come into this place and see a depth of gratefulness and thanksgiving that is uncommon in this world. I want people to walk in and see joy that cannot be contained. And while it won't always be easy, I want our city to look at us and see a passionate church responding to the greatness and the glory of our Savior that can never be equaled or matched by anything or anyone in this world. Amen? Amen. Friends, can we stand together? We're gonna spend some time now responding in song. And let's not waste these next few moments that we have in worship together. Let's allow our voices, our singing to declare that Christ is central and that he alone is the subject and the object of our worship. Jesus in all things. Let's worship together.